I was uh, teaching a class one time and somebody said, uh, you know, all this is really interesting, but I, I just would never use this in life. I think I just have a simple childlike faith. And I said, well, all of us in this room better have a simple childlike faith because Jesus said, unless you become like this child, you can't enter the kingdom. So there's not an option of, well, I'm going to the kingdom with a mature adult-like faith and another option of, oh, I just have a simple childlike faith, so I'm going into the kingdom that way. No, you either have a simple childlike faith in Jesus or you don't go in the kingdom. That's, that's pretty much what he presents. But I think the distinction then becomes... Welcome to Engage Your World, brought to you by Engage 360 Ministries. All right, so last time, guys, we talked about the content of the gospel. What is the gospel? The week before that, we had talked about the context of the gospel. Why is it that we even need a gospel in the first place? So we talked about you need to know the bad news before you know why you need the good news of the gospel. And before that, you even need to know why is there bad news in the first place? What happened? Why? What happened going from the state of good news of the garden to the state where we were needing that? So we've talked about the context, the content of the gospel. And today we're going to look at the response to the gospel. And so what is it that you you have someone do after you've presented the gospel? And maybe not even just when you've presented the gospel, but when you've had a spiritual conversation. And one of the things that I've learned, Greg, from you in particular, but I think I see this in, in a lot of people who I'd say are maybe more gifted or at least experienced, if not gifted, in evangelism, is that they always present that opportunity for the person to take the next step, whatever that might be. And so if you've had an introductory conversation, you haven't really got all the way through things, you haven't presented the gospel, but you, you're getting them to consider Christianity, it might be asking them to read a book or to get together again or to go home and read a, a book of the Bible, the Gospel of John, something like that. And if you have presented the gospel, it's offering that clear call to here is your opportunity to respond. You know, do you want to respond today? And I just think that's so important and something a lot of us overlook and don't think of naturally. Yeah, one of the interesting things about the gospel message is that it's something that actually needs to be responded to. It's something that needs to be interacted with. I've talked to non-Christians before, and one of the curiosities that is, exists in their mind is, why is it that if Jesus died for my sin, I need to do anything at all? Like, why is that not sufficient on its own? And yet God has designed the good news of the gospel to be such that it requires a response. It's not the type of thing where you can just passively hear it and just acknowledge it mentally and you're good to go. It makes me think of like if someone told you that there's $10 million waiting for you at this location <laughs> and they give you a map. And then you just say, oh, cool. So I have that money. It's like, no, no, you need to go to it. You need to go claim it. Right. And so the whole question is, how do you respond to the gospel? Yeah. No, I think that's that's great. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but I think that's a really good illustration. That It's not something, obviously, none of us are going to say we're earning it or meriting it, or let's go do this work, right? We're all going to hold very strongly to salvation by grace through faith. But there's something that we're doing in response to the good news that's been offered. And maybe part of it uh, is that, the evangelists, they're, the kind of boldness that they have that the rest of us struggle with a lot more, we're afraid of that rejection, so we're afraid or to make that action step call. And, and that might be that barrier that evangelists just have an easier time overcoming or have overcome. They've made themselves. 
and that the rest of us really need to work hard to. But that's exactly it. it's it's okay. So what are you going to do now in presenting that opportunity? You know, Greg, I, I what uh, what would you add? I mean, what are your thoughts? What have you seen uh, in regards to that and the importance of it? Yeah, it's it's important to offer an opportunity for someone to respond. I've had plenty of opportunities to share the gospel. And I can think back at times where I've shared it. It was clearly and accurately articulated. But then I just kind of left it hanging. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I've learned that, look, that what's patterned in the New Testament is repentance and faith. Or repentance and belief. But that there's no difference, really, from the belief and the faith. It's all involves trusting. We're trusting Jesus as our authority figure and our our faith rests in him yeah we'll close with a couple of stories that i think will really illustrate this well for everyone but one of the things that we've been talking about a lot over the past few months is that it seems like functionally faith and repentance are sort of flip sides of the same coin you're 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 trusting in christ in the message of the gospel and then part and parcel of that is then repenting turning from sin and so I really think that's what we need to look at is breaking down what is faith and repentance and, and what do those mean? Uh, and, and what we've been talking about really ties in so well with the aspect of faith. I think a lot of people maybe misunderstand this because we emphasize the belief aspect, but the way I hear the, you, the, the word faith used and, and when it's tied in with belief, it almost seems like an arbitrary, well, I'm just choosing to believe. We may be making a choice to believe, but it's not arbitrary. And I think that's something that we miss. And I think the pattern of the New Testament shows that it's a belief based on authority in which we put an active trust. So there's that belief that we have because an authority has told us that thing. And then we have to take that active step of trusting in it. And so a great example would be the Roman centurion. Uh, you can find this in, in the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, Matthew 8 uh, would be one place. And in this section, a Roman centurion, centurion comes to Jesus and has a servant who's suffering at home and says, Jesus, my, my, I have a servant who's suffering, and um, will you heal him? He's essentially requesting. And Jesus says, yes, I'll, I'll come now. And he says, no, I don't deserve to even have you come under my roof, but just say the word essentially, is what he's getting at. Just say the word and it'll be done. And he goes into specifically saying, for I too am a man under authority. And when I say, uh, and, and I have soldiers under me who I'm an authority over. And when I tell a soldier to go, he goes. And when I tell one, come, he comes to me. And when I say, go do this, he has to do it. And I operate the same way with my authorities. I know how authority works. And Jesus, I know you are the authority over life and sickness. And so you just need to will it. And it will be done. You speak the words and, it's, and, it's, and it happens. And Jesus marvels and says, with no one in Israel have I seen such faith. And then he goes into just grinding salt into the wound of this story by saying to the audience of all these Jews that many will come from east to west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness and there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. So not only does he say, look, this Roman soldier, the, the, the representation of everything you hate about the Roman authorities over you, he has the ideal faith. He is the greatest faith of every, anyone in Israel that Jesus hmm. had interacted with. 
And just to think about how appalling that would have been to the hearers. But the Roman centurion somehow had a better idea of who Jesus was than even his own disciples, which I just find fascinating. And it's ironic that as they were crucifying him, he had a sign above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. (laughs) And we can see this authority played out even with the two criminals. One of the criminals who hung there was heaping abuse on him and stating, are you not the Christ? And Jesus said, uh, and he said to Jesus, save yourself and us. He's just mocking the Christ. And then verse 40 of uh, Luke 23 But the other one rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same judgment? We are punished justly, for we are receiving what our actions deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he's acknowledging we're guilty. He's not. He fears God. He's receiving what he deserves. He turns to put faith in Jesus, acknowledging that he is, in fact, the authority figure. He's the king of this kingdom. And he, Jesus' response was to him was truly, I tell you today, today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah, yeah. it's phenomenal. And if you think about the common, like the shortest creed that exists within the New Testament is the short statement, Jesus is Lord. And when you think about that, that's an ascription of authority to jesus saying he is the true authority and that was their statement of faith that was them stating who they put their trust in and one of the things i wanted to highlight really quick is just the need for authority figures like if you just were to think right now of what you're able to know on your own just by going out in the world and seeing it with your own eyes There are plenty of countries that you would have to say, well, I don't know if Madagascar exists. I don't know if Australia exists. I don't know if Japan exists because I've never seen them myself. But we rely on the authority of people who make maps, of people at Google who made Google Earth and all of those (laughs) things. We rely on those authorities to know things that are beyond our immediate vision. And so when we come to Jesus and we recognize him as the authority of our lives... That means that we recognize that what he says is true about everything because he's the authority over everything, and therefore we trust him. Absolutely. And I think what this does is it gives us a better understanding of what Jesus means by a childlike faith. I was uh, teaching a class one time, and somebody said, uh, you know, all this is really interesting, but I I just would never use this in life. Um, We were talking about reasons that we can know Christianity is true, and I would just never use this. I, You know, I would never have this. And I think I just have a simple childlike faith. And I said, well, all of us in this room better have a simple childlike faith because Jesus said, unless you become like this child, you can't enter the kingdom. So there's not an option of, well, I'm going to the kingdom with a mature adult-like faith and another Mm -hmm. option of, oh, I just have a simple childlike faith, so I'm going into the kingdom that way. No, you either have a simple childlike faith in Jesus or you don't go in the kingdom. That's, That's pretty much what he presents. But I think the distinction then becomes a childish faith that hasn't thought about why is it Jesus that you trust? Why is it that you're not Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu? Or even let's look within Christianity broadly, Mormons or Jehovah's Witness. Why is it that we don't accept those things? Well, I think a mature faith has examined why it is that it's Jesus. And so what I said was, I can tell you exactly why I trust Jesus and why. But the bottom line is, if you ask me, 
why am I going to be in heaven? My answer is because Jesus said so. That's it. Hmm. I don't I don't have any other justification. It's not by my merit. It's not by my works. It's not because I'm really smart. It's not any of those things. It's because Jesus said that he has died for our sin and that if we trust in him, that we can be with him. Just like the story you were talking about, Greg, that the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He just trusted it. And so that's what a proper healthy authority aspect is. Now, we all know authority can be abused as well, right? So we're not just blanket saying, hey, anyone who says that they're authority, do it. But the question is always going to be, how do you analyze who the authorities are that you should trust? And so Jesus gives us really good examples. Another great illustration of this in Mark 2, the paralytic lowered through the roof. Most people are probably familiar with the story. And so uh, Jesus says uh, that your sins are forgiven and they all kind of start losing it, especially the, the uh, legal scribes that were there. And he says, you know, why do you question such? What is easier to say to a man, take up your bed and walk or to say your sins are forgiven, but that you may know that the son of man has the power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And so the miracle of his healing of his paralysis becomes the validation of the message that they have no way to verify. So no one knows if Jesus can forgive sin. It's, it's easy to say it's, it's all but impossible to do. The only one who can do it is God. But the proof that Jesus gives is something they can see. And so he says, based on the miracle I did, trust that I can forgive sin. And he, he illustrates this elsewhere when he says, if you don't believe the things that I say, believe by the works that I do, the miracles. And I, I think this is just something that we've missed. It hasn't been emphasized enough but it's crucial in understanding that faith side of the coin. So praise the Lord. Jesus is the authority of all matters, life, death, sin, salvation, the way. And in John 14, verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip makes a statement and you see that Jesus in verse 10, the words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. He's pointing to the father and that things have been given to him and that are through him. And so we have our faith rests in an authority figure and Jesus Christ is the only authority figure. So maybe one way to kind of tie up some of these threads is you could put it this way. We have good reasons to have a childlike trust in Jesus. The way a child trusts his parents or even an should. older sibling. Yeah, <laughs> the way a child should trust their parents or older sibling is one where they say, you know more than I do about this matter. You're the authority within this family on how I ought to be raised and how I ought to be parented. So I will trust your decision-making regarding my life. Um, and there's good reasons for that child to believe it, just like there are good reasons for us to trust in Jesus. He's proven himself to be the authority figure. So I think that helps make sense of what faith is. But then if we wanted to also talk a little bit about calling someone, how can we help someone understand what it actually means? Cause that's a lot of complex ideas. So, Greg, Matt, when you're sharing the gospel, how do you kind of practically call someone to put that kind of faith in Jesus? All right, yeah. Well, Jordan, I think one of the ways we could look at that is, as we talked about last week when we talked looked at the gospel, you know, you have these evidence-based parts of the gospel. So you have that Jesus 
was crucified, died for the forgiveness of sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, was raised, and then was seen. And we talked about how him being buried was proof that he died, and him being raised was proof that he actually was alive. But the way that the gospel writers, the, the New Testament writers, talk about the resurrection, the way they use that, and the way we can when we talk about the resurrection, is tying in how this is why we trust Jesus. This is why we put faith in Jesus and understand him to be the authority over life and death and sin. Why is it that we trust him and he knows? Well, because he rose from the dead. Not only did he raise from the dead, but he prophesied that he was going to die. He prophesied that he was going to be raised. And so that is why we trust him as the authority over these matters. And so we have faith. And then we really need to look at, okay, so, so we're trusting Jesus. Well, then it goes to that repentant side of the coin. And, you know, we need to talk about what that is, Jordan. Yeah, so repentance, I think, is, like we said, it's kind of the other side of the coin of faith. And so you could think of it in terms of picture yourself walking somewhere. If you are leaving one location and going to another location, those are kind of two sides of the same coin. You're leaving one place, say you're leaving your house, and you're going to your friend's house. You could describe it either of, I'm going there or I'm leaving here. And the way I like to picture it is repentance is sort of what you're leaving behind. Repentance literally means to change your mind about something. And so you can see already how that's connected to the idea of trusting in authority. When you say, I'm going to adopt the mindset of this authority and leave behind the way I've been thinking about this already. So it's willing to, if you've ever had a moment where you just have a paradigm shift in your mind, where you've looked at the world one way and you've kind of thought about things in certain categories, and then all of a sudden something changes that in a moment. That's That can be what repentance feels like, having to try to rework your entire mental picture of <laughs> reality. It does then trickle down to concrete changes in your life, but the primary thing is that you're willing to trust the authority by faith in Jesus and then leave behind all of your previous ways of thinking and especially important is it's leaving behind the thought that you can save yourself that you can make yourself right with god right. completely on your own you need to say no i'm trusting in jesus to do that for me i'm leaving behind what i'm doing right and one kind of story metaphor that i find helpful is picturing someone on the fifth floor of a burning building and they can't get out. Everywhere they look, there are flames, and so the only thing that doesn't, that isn't already covered in flames is a window, so they go to that, hoping maybe there's firefighters ready to catch them. Thankfully, praise God, there are firefighters down there, and they shout up, hey, you need to, le you need to let go of this window sill that you're sitting on, and trust us to catch you down here. So the repentance is being willing to get off of the thing that's currently holding you. And the faith is trusting that God will catch you, that the firefighters will catch you at the bottom. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's really that specifically focused around what is God saying about you and your relationship to him due to sin? God says you have broken these commands as, as Greg has talked about. You are separated. This sin is a problem. It's separating us. You've put yourself above me. You need to recognize you are to properly be related, you're in a healthy way below God, and you need to let go of that sin, and it needs to remove control. And Greg, you've talked about that so well. 
Yeah, it's, we see this played out with the criminal on the cross. He acknowledges that he's guilty and that Jesus is not. He turns from his sin, puts faith in Jesus, and Jesus is encur- Jesus encourages him by saying, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." It's yep. beautiful. Yeah, I just don't really think we can sep- these, separate these other than concepts and. And as we've been developing just all of our curriculum, all of our training the last year, this has become clear and clearer to us that we need to talk about these separately, but they're not really separate things. They just, one comes with the other, and it's not even like, well, which one's more important or which one's first? We could talk about an order, but it's, it's really kind of the same thing simultaneously. It's the same thing playing out in different ways simultaneously. And there's no work or doing involved. You can imagine right. just... Right. In, in our natural fallen state, we're we're gripping and loving sin, and then we acknowledge sin and the truth of the gospel, and it just it's released as we turn, putting faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, I, you have an interesting story from when we were up at uh, UNCC. We were doing outreach, and and uh, you had that conversation with uh, a student who said he was a Christian. I think that would be really helpful to kind of tie together not only what you walked him through in that contrast, but also the importance of presenting a clear call to action and that opportunity, even in the face of a time where it might not seem necessary. Yes. In the earlier stages of our ministry, we kind of talked about as a team, should we record our live interactions with non-believers? And I think we've pretty much settled that we just don't feel comfortable with that. It's kind of, especially if someone gets saved, it's kind of a holy moment. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. There's real transformational work and it's personal, private. And so, um, but we did think it was a good idea maybe to interview some Christians because it's shocking how many of them cannot articulate the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so I picked one young man. He said he grew up in a Lutheran church and that uh, he loves the gospel and he would love to talk about it on video. And so the, the video gets to rolling and I ask him real quick, okay, what is, if, if you could just boil down the gospel, put it in a nutshell, give it to me in a short, succinct form, what is the God? What do I need for salvation? And he said, well, you just got to be a good guy. You got to follow the Ten Commandments and you need to have faith the size of a mustard seed. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, no, I'm, I'm actually doing what I didn't want to do. I'm interviewing a non-believer. And so then it transitioned to, OK, this is an evangelistic opportunity. And so we brought him to the scriptures, helped him to have mature understanding of the gospel and he actually responded with yes that's the gospel that's what i believe and i could have i could have stopped right there because i could have just assumed oh he he actually knew the gospel he was just on the spot and he he struggled to articulate something on the spot but i felt compelled to offer him an opportunity to respond to it and so i asked him have you ever acknowledged your sin, turn from it, and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And he goes, ah, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I asked him if he would like to. And and, and then at that point, I went over the gospel again, reiterated the points to make sure he had mature understanding of it, offered him the the response, and he did. He, He turned from his sin, acknowledged it, turned from it, and he put his trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And he even said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, which is really encouraging to hear. And then from there, 
it was you, you could see the Holy Spirit immediately working. He wanted to stick around, be in the scriptures. He went through Luke 15, went to the criminal of the cross, bounced around, and he was so excited, thanking God, thanking us. And it was also a reminder for us and something that we now use for training purposes. Hey, look, we we can't just assume. I could have I could have stopped and assumed he was a Christian when he said he grew up Lutheran. I could have stopped and assumed he was a Christian when he said that he knew the gospel, the gospel and liked to talk about it. He, I could have stopped when he when I gave him the gospel and he said, yeah, that's what I believe. But what he really needed was an opportunity to respond and to be yep. challenged. Yep. Yeah, and it's just, just so crucial. And, and it's something that comes with time, you know, as you get. And don't be afraid to ask questions, you know. The thing about it, for anyone who watches this video in the, in the future or has, it's not offensive. He's not shoving it down his throat. He just says, you know, have you ever? And very, very respectful, inquisitive manner. And, and the kid just answered honestly, you know, no, I probably, probably never have. I, no, I haven't. And and so if we're respectful in the way we're asking these things, people really aren't aren't offended, and it's not as scary as as what we might make it out. Well, to kind of wrap things up here, so over the last three weeks, we've talked about the context of the gospel. Why do we even need a gospel? We've talked about the content. What is the gospel? Today, we talked about the response, offering people the response, and what is the response? Faith and repentance, um, and. That sh that's a pretty good uh, summary of what how we need to think about this and and really breaking it up in those three areas and understanding when we when we give the gospel, making sure to include all of those that we've made sure there's a context that we clearly present the content and then that we offer this opportunity to respond. Any other thoughts you guys want to add? Well, if it helps anybody, I just thought of this on the spot that you could think of it as three C's, actually. There's the context, the content, and then the call of the gospel. Ah, very good. There we go. And of course, what follows or what it results from someone putting their faith and trust in Christ Jesus alone for salvation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're credited with Jesus's righteousness. They're forgiven of all past, present, and future sins, their relationship with God is restored, and they will be with God and all the saints in eternity worshiping Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful. Amen. Well, we appreciate you guys being with us and look forward to all of you joining us for our podcast next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.